And this is the Az Kanaki podcast, where we tell two versions of the same story. Here on Az Kanaki, we understand that colonization is the breaking of relationships. It is our original instructions to hold relationships at the center of everything, whether that be relationships to our lands, waters, children, plants, animals, or to each other. In the spirit of respect for our relations, I send out a prayer for Akhames Kapikapsin, all living things. I hope that you, our listeners, are finding space to breathe, rest, and find joy and pleasure today. May this episode bring you something needed. This episode contains conversations about matriarchy, missing and murdered indigenous women, grief, ceremony, vigils, writing, personal stories of death, Highway 16, the Highway of Tears, hitchhiking, cultural roles, elders, life transitions, mentions of the pandemic, the weight of cultural responsibilities, remembering, medication and side effects, relationships to water and water teachings, cleaning off, letting go, prayer, and cultural medicines. If you are impacted by any of the following content, please be gentle with yourself and reach out to someone safe for support. You are not alone. Thank you for listening to the Az Kanaki Podcast. Today's artist is Niska, writer, educator, and matriarch in training, Janelle Silverwolf. I have had the honor and privilege of knowing Janelle since we were young, as undergraduate students at Simon Fraser University, where we rocked the First Nations Student Association as board members and event planners. Some of my favorite memories of that time in our lives have Janelle's laugh echoing through them. Actually, in our roles on the FNSA, we held an annual feast to thank SFU students for funding us. It was one of those feasts that we invited another Askanaki guest, the multi-talented writer and musician Krista Couture, to play. And it was also at SFU that I first met a featured guest on yet a different episode, Richard Van Camp. And so we are all connected. What a gift those days were when I was newly embracing my Indigenous identity, learning, and perhaps more importantly, unlearning, what it meant to have community around me. Janelle has always been a force for good in my life. A gifted Indigenous auntie, sister, and two-spirit woman, Janelle holds her teachings close and her head held high. She has always taught me to be proud of who we are as Indigenous people. She has always stood by me while we celebrated our wins and grieved our losses. While I have known many of my guests on this show for nearly as long, Janelle is one of my nearest and dearest friends. We are here today in Amokis Tunaka, where Janelle has been staying at my house, as when we talked about where to record, she said she wanted to visit her dog. I say her dog because when she's here, my dog, Kootenai Lou, follows her around and sleeps in her room, and I know that they have a connection and bond that goes unmatched. I'm grateful for her presence whenever we get to spend time together, and especially grateful that she organized my pantry this week. Janelle is an emerging writer who is currently unpublished, so if you're a publisher listening to this episode, contact us and we can all encourage Janelle to keep going with her powerful words. Welcome to Az Kanaki, Janelle. You have honored our show with your work. The first piece Janelle will be reading is a love letter, and I'm so grateful to feature it and have a discussion about Indigenous matriarchy here on Az Kanaki. 
Warrior Women, a letter to my daughter. Always remember, your mother is a warrior. You will take after us someday. I want you to know, I want you to care about your community and the issues affecting your people. I want to teach you early. So when the time comes and you realize your purpose as the next generation of warrior women, you can look back and remember today. Today we gather to show we recognize the wrong. We remember the missing and we will not sit down and be quiet. Warrior women. Candles light up our circle as we stand together in love and support. Families speak. Tears fall from our eyes, feeling pain in their hearts and in ours. A woman's song evolves tears into sobs so strong it hurts you to hear, to see, to feel. I do not want to scare you, my girl. I want you to see the pain. I want you to see what loss feels like, because I don't ever want to lose you, warrior women. You, my daughter, will be great. You will recognize the wrong and be part of making it right. You will remember the missing and make sure that others do too. You're a warrior by blood and your blood will remember this day. Your heart will never forget the pain that you stood witness to. Your body will carry you to your purpose. Your spirit will know when you're there. Your mind will lead others and your ancestors will help you stand with strength, vision, and love. You are powerful, my girl. Always remember, you will take after us someday, warrior women. Thank you. What a gift. Janelle, this piece is important to me. Well, I think first, can you talk about the context? Because obviously it's at an event. Yeah. Right? Yeah, definitely. So I wrote this piece in the final year of my bachelor's degree. And I wanted to write a poetry piece that was a memory of when I was young. I went with my mom to a candlelit vigil. Mm. I was really young. I think I was probably between the ages of three and five. And she was working for the Terrace Women's Centre. And she was helping to organize this candlelit vigil, one of the first that was ever held along Highway 16 in northern British Columbia. I remembered this day so incredibly vividly that when I asked my mom about it, she just looked at me. She was shocked and she smiled that I remembered that day. I was so young and she brought me there. And when I sat down to write this, I knew the context around what, I knew what I wanted to write about, but I didn't know exactly how it was gonna come out. And I did all of the other steps first and left the writing the poem to the very end, of course. And this poem came out so quickly when I wrote it. And I recognized as I was writing it that I kept changing certain words and it felt better and it felt right writing this as my mom 
writing a love letter to me mm. as a young indigenous woman, a young indigenous girl who would be a young indigenous woman one day. And this is what I thought she wanted me to know. This is what I thought was the reasoning behind her bringing me to this type of event. I could tell you what I was wearing that day, what color my little gumboots were, mm -hmm. everything, where I stood by the stage, when I brought water to um, families of women who had been lost and still not found. And it was just such a vivid memory that I really, really wanted to write something about this and uh, have a visual that is attached with it. And the visual that I wanted was these photos, something from the newspaper, posters from the event that they made. And I did so much research and called so many people and there was not one piece of paper or anything that mm. showed that this day actually happened. Mm. I called the archives for our local newspaper. Nothing. And then it became even more important for me to write this down. Mm-hmm. Wow, thank you for that. I think one of the reasons that this work speaks to me is something that I've been talking about a little more in my work, but is still difficult for me to talk about. And that's, you know, as an adoptee, as I've talked about on other episodes, my biological grandmother, all I had known was this story that she had passed. Um, and I'd sort of been given this story that she fell down some stairs. And it wasn't until I moved home and I started spending time with my aunties and one of my aunties in particular, and we started talking about her mom, my grandma, and she told me the story and, and told me that they believe, that our family believes that she was killed. And so I had always connected to obviously missing and murdered Indigenous women, growing up as an Indigenous woman, right? We, it's, it's in our faces. And I'd always been to vigils, I'd always attended, I had done this work and I'd felt really called to it and to know that and to kind of recognize my connection to it uh, later in life in this way has been a devastating gift. It's good to know the stories, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about truth and it's good to know the stories and that connection and obviously it's there's grief there. And I thank you for this work because I think about those moments in community and how they're Indigenous-led, and how they're led by Indigenous women. I just think this piece is is so incredible. And can you speak a little bit, because, you know, for myself, I grew up in southern BC, and of course this was a conversation. My grandmother was in Ontario and Toronto when, when she was killed, but obviously where you're from, mm -hmm. this is, you know, just to just to locate it for the for the listeners. Yeah, definitely. So I grew up close to the end of the line for Highway 16. I grew up around Terrace, B.C., on the northwest coast, and also in the Nass Valley, where my nation is. Um, uh, is our community. But having spent a lot of my time in Terrace, in that town, I only was exposed to this type of discussion because my mom worked at the mm -hmm. women's center. And so understanding what this location means along Highway 16 and where we are was something that was introduced to me young in this way, but was something that I really had to 
be remind I was reminded of constantly growing up mm-hmm. of where we are and how careful I need to be. So the highway between Terrace, BC and Prince Rupert, BC is that's it. You can only go by boat after that. And so a lot of people hitchhike between these areas. It's a lot of small town communities. And like I told you earlier, walking around in a small community and having everybody wave and, you know, feeling Mm -hmm. this kind of sense of comfort was not something that I grew up with in that sense, right? That it was always that warning because of how charged our location is at that point of Highway 16 in Northern BC. Mm -hmm. And I think what you capture in this is that love of a mother and that fear, but that love and that protection that comes with that. You know, matriarchy is something we've talked about often. I often think about when my ceremony mom passed and the pressure that my oldest sister faced. She felt like she had to become a matriarch in that instant. And of course, in the process of grief, we've recognized we have a little more time and space, of course, uh, grace as we go through the grief. But I also believe, and I think we've shared this, is that it's a role that is both learned and earned. And that said, I also want to note that as far as I have learned, Tunaka, we're not matriarchal. And so I want to honor that for Niska, this means something different. And I'd love for you to share whatever you want to share with us about matriarchy and that that mother bond here. Yeah, definitely. I feel like when I was young, I didn't know what matriarchy meant, I knew what it looked like. Mm. So being in the feast hall with my mom, my grandmother, my aunties, and being a child who just observes and looks around, I followed my mom everywhere in the feast hall. I needed to know what she was doing and why, always. And realizing that it was all the women we were running that. Mm. We run that feast hall a lot. You know, of course, we work in collaboration with the entire community when we come together for these things. But to see the way the feast hall is run when you're in there, you're going to see these women, right? So knowing the strength of the women in my family has always, always been there. And following my mom around all the time, and when I asked questions, started asking questions about why, then she started talking to me about matriarchy and telling me, like, your grandmother, your Gigi, she is our matriarch. And, you know, that matriarchy in our communities is something that we hold so incredibly dear in knowing that there's so much strength and power in our women that you will always have those immediate images of these matriarchs sitting on one table together when they finally do sit down and laughing so loud that it echoes the entire hall. And that's something that you will always remember. So knowing that, I feel like I started understanding matriarchy in a different way as I got older. And when I started asking the why, my mom started talking to me about our cultural laws. And how, what it means to use that title of matriarchy. And that the reason my Jiji 
would be our matriarch is because she has lived so deeply and in so many ways mm. with not just with our family, but with all the families in the community. So that that title, I think about in terms of an elder, you know, and calling whether you call, you don't call yourself an elder in a way, in that way, right? Mm -hmm. It is something that we, we often talk about as something that is earned with your life's work. And you and I were talking about earlier how we show our wealth is by giving. Mm -hmm. And so that is something that we also measure or that we see in measurement of who is best fitted to become the next matriarch in our communities mm -hmm. is very much that how much do you give back? How present are you? What has your life been in relation to our community? It reminds me of a teaching from Louis Bird, a quote from Louis Bird. And you're talking about elders, we're talking about matriarchs. And in this quote, he uses the word shaman, but I, I would say like a healer, right? I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the book in front of me, but he said that a shaman is not a healer. They are a gifted survivor who can mm -hmm. guide. And I think when I think of your Gigi, when I think of the matriarchs, I think of my mom as well, who is chief and who is leading her nation and our family and in those ways. And I think... Just what you talk about is one of the things I think that happens with our culture is people want to know. They want names or they want to claim these things. And even indigenous, young indigenous people. And I often have to say, like, what have you done? Where have you, you know, how do you come to your community? And I think it's that same thing of, yeah, we, we don't say we're elders. We don't say we're knowledge holders. We don't walk around doing that kind of thing mm -hmm. because it's based on how people see you. And so, yeah, I just wanted to share that piece of that, like, idea of surviving, that idea of being the eldest, that idea of the experiences that come. Mm -hmm. And knowing that, you know, just being the eldest doesn't always mean that that's the immediate role that you walk right. into, right? It's our matriarchal system has so many very complex components to it. Mm -hmm. So to sit down and really... Talk about what it means, what matriarchy means for the operation of our community, whether that means political or in terms of community decisions, community groups, landscape decisions, our treaty, mm -hmm. things like that, that they're incredibly important in those conversations. And we hold their words so incredibly dear to us that when my grandmother told me, my Gigi told me, that your name is only as strong as the people who are stand or willing to stand behind you. Mm. So my grandmother, we just passed the one year anniversary of my Gigi's passing. And I recall her in the final, her last days that I got to spend with her, her calling me into the room and she was calling a meeting and mm. this is something that matriarchs do. Something mm. is incredibly important. She wants to bring everybody together. We need to make sure that there is others bearing witness to what's being said right now because she wants it carried out. And so she told me that she knew which one of my aunties was going to be the next chief woman, is what she said. Mm. The next chief woman. She's going to be the next chief woman. And 
for her to do well, for our community to see how strong we are, I need you all to be there with her, to show up, to do everything that it takes in that feast hall to make sure that she feels supported and she feels like she can hold this title. Mm. This story reminds me of a moment where I had to talk to some of the elder women, which to me would be matriarchs, and we were in ceremony, and I was talking to them about a name that one of my families had given me, and I had already carried a name, and so they'd kind of cross their arms and be like, so you want two names? And I was like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> my one family gave me a name, and now my other family wants to give me a name, and I don't know what to do. And so it was really, you know, this overwhelming thing, but in that ceremony, when they, when they did, they did eventually, one of the women finally said, well, I have two names, which is hilarious, right? They grilled me and I was sweating. And then, of course, but uh, for our name, just thinking of that, this is the first woman and you have to stand with them. For our name, I, I had to dance alone, the circle myself first mm. to take that name. And then my family came that second round, my family, my close relatives, and then in that third round, the, they all came out and danced with me. And there was this idea of coming together, standing behind us, walking with us. And one of my teachers now, I think we're, you know, we're talking about grief here, these teachings. One of my teachers now talks about how when he first started to do and lead ceremony, he had a whole crew of elders behind him, like 20 of them. And they would lean forward and sort of tap him on the shoulder and tell him when he was doing things wrong. And he's like, it was so hard at those times. And it was so stressful. But I, you know, I would listen and correct. You know, we make those corrections. And then now when he runs that ceremony, and especially in COVID was devastating. There was only four of us because we had to be very safe with our community. But even now there's no one. He's He said, you know, I have to start preparing to be an elder because we're in this space. And so I think when we we talk about this, I'm so grateful that we can talk about these teachings like we have them. And yet I I sometimes wish I could have been around for those times of, you know, when there was many matriarchs at the table. And I hope that that's continuing where you're from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like this is happening I've had a number of conversations with friends who are talking about the amount of losses that have been happening since the pandemic started. Um, and of course, a lot of um, very vulnerable people in that time are, are elders. And this is something my Gigi said to me before she had passed too, you know, like our, our old people are dying, they're moving on. And so it was so important to her to have these conversations around with me and to have me call in my aunties and my cousins to come and bear witness to these words that she was speaking, because it's not only my aunt that's getting that name that needs to understand, it's us that needs to understand too, because her, she might be holding this name, but it's just like you you had just said. Do you know how hard it is having people tap you all the time and tell you you're doing this wrong or you should do it this way or your mom would have done it this way mm -hmm. or, you know, how hard that process of feeling at home with that matriarchal name that's been given to you. Mm -hmm. I know that's not an immediate feeling. And her preparing us to support her 
was trying to set her up for success in that way, right? Mm-hmm. And learning the ways. One of my, my well, my ceremony mom, the late Carol Edelman Warrior, she would say that we teach every kid something different so that they need each other. So, you know, often when my siblings and I are talking, we'll bring up a story and I'll say, oh, well, this, she taught me this. And then they'll be like, oh, yeah, but didn't she have that dream? Like, she never told me that dream. And then, but it's this, these little puzzle pieces. And so we need each other. We have to come together. And I think that's the same thing you're saying is this coming together to allow, to remember. I know that we we need helpers to remember. And I know that in my own work, I have to always sort of ask. And in fact, a story I'm going to tell in a minute has to do with that humbling nature of not knowing, right? So I, I I thank you so much for these conversations. And I think the last thing I want to bring up to, to move into this last piece is that something that has been taught to me in some Indigenous nations out East, uh, Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, there's been a few of them, that the role of women... There's a sort of a role of women with water protection and carrying water. And, you know, when, when Tanil and I talked, we talked about how when we say women, we're being inclusive. And, you know, obviously as two-spirit people, I'm being inclusive. And mm-hmm. and yet I also believe that our stories and your poem will offer sort of a different insight into the relationship with water. And I wanted to talk more with you about how we all have a relationship to water. And perhaps specifically, if you can speak to your own dreams, ceremonial, bundle, when it comes to honoring wu'u or ox, the water. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know where to begin with what my relationship to water is. I guess I would say the first times that I really felt connected or understood that water was what brought me peace and that I was in relation with water in this way in what it gave me was when I was really little and my grandfather, my yet, the late Louis McKay, had a boat that he named after me and my mom, the Lori Janelle. Mm-hmm. He was the only one that called my mom Lori. So he named this boat after us and I was never allowed to go on it. <laughs> I was never allowed to go on this <laughs> boat and go fishing with him because women don't go oh. fishing on the boat. That was the beliefs then. Mm-hmm. And it used to drive me nuts because my brother gets seasick. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they tried to take him out and he got seasick, and, you know. And so I was just upset. And you imagine me as a little girl mm-hmm. being very livid about this. <laughs> Unacceptable that you won't let me come, but he can't go either. So I used to sit by the water and wait for them to come back. And after my yet passed away, I still went to the water and felt like I was sitting and waiting for him to come back. Mm. And it was the place that I always felt closest to him. And we live in a beautiful community that has amazing wildlife relations around us. And my yet was from the Eagle Clan, Lasquique. And he was always there when I sat by the water. And I feel like probably the first poem I ever wrote was to him as I sat on the Lori Janelle that my uncle 
took care of afterwards, after he passed away. I would still go down there and sit on his boat and visit him. And I sat down there and I started talking to him. And then I started singing to him. And then somehow I think it kind of turned into a poem somehow, but I never, I was so young, I never mm. wrote that down, but I think about it and I still remember a couple of the things that I said to him at that time. But that was when I first started feeling that connection mm-hmm. to water. Of course, our community has water ceremonies as well, right? Mm-hmm. And protocols around what it means And to shift from that, to think about more about it in terms of this, what I've been taught with ceremony, our cold water cleanse Mm. is what we would call it. Now, that's what we call it. You know, I don't know what there is a word, Mm -hmm. you know, so now that's why I just said that, because now I need to go find out. But I do recall being told about a dip them going for this dip and, you know, like what it means to wash off, mm-hmm. to let go. And I was too young to really understand what they were telling me, I think. And I mean, I understood it, but I understood it with so many different nuances as I got older and thought about it. But what I think is so interesting about our cold water cleanse is that we all have it in so many, in different ways. We might call it a sea bath Mm -hmm. or um, a cold water cleanse, or it might be, you know, like being in ocean water versus mountain water or whatever it is. But the point being that this cold water cleanse is something that we do for ourselves. And what I've been taught is we don't really bring people with us when we do it and we had places in our territory that were a hike in the mountain where there's you know mountain water coming down in some pool somewhere where you know people would go and do these cold water cleanses and they would do them for various reasons but generally it's to let go or get something off of you Mm -hmm. and so the teachings being you know, that we are, we're looking in multiple directions. We dunk in different directions. We also don't leave the water until we're done. Mm -hmm. And so when I had started my journey to come back to BC in 2020, I just was on this healing journey and I wanted to do this cold water cleanse. I had this in mind and I was worried it having to do it by myself felt scary because I didn't know how long I was going to be in that water and so one of my aunts had talked to me about of course yeah we have the way we do it Mm -hmm. but we're all individual people we're all individuals who have different things different needs different asks of what we're going into the ceremony for And that sometimes that might mean I need to bring somebody with me, that it's not going to be the way I was told that's how we do it. Mm -hmm. If that was something I felt and was a strong feeling in my body, then it should be important. Mm -hmm. It should be listened to and it should be supported. So, you know, having somebody offer to come, but then really having to think about who that person is that comes with you Mm -hmm. is so important, too. Thank you for all of that teaching. And I think 
we've talked about these things before, the protocol policing that we actually, we know, we know what we need. So that leads right into the story I want to tell, the Oz Kanaki, to tell two versions of the story. Janelle's just shared with you a version, and we'll share a poem with you to close out our episode. But this is the first time on this series that I'm not sure how to tell the story that I want to tell. The piece that Janelle is about to share with you means a lot to me, as it came to her twice. Once when she wrote it in Amakis Tunaka, where I live, when she came to visit me and we had what might actually be one of the more difficult visits in our friendship. And again, it came in Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish territory, the day Janelle helped me with the ceremony. What I can tell you is the reason I want to share this, my version of the story Janelle tells with this piece, because it reminds me of what my ceremony mom, Carol, taught me about ceremony and spiritual experiences. It's never what you think, she'd say, quoting her own ceremonial teachers and leaders. This story has to do with my own masculinity, with my youth, and with the difficult decisions we make in grief. My version of this story starts with losing Carol and with the journey that grief took me on, but really what came after that first year was me moving home to my own territory and only a few months later experiencing what we have all been through in this last few years, the trauma of the beginnings of the global pandemic that is and was COVID-19. My coping mechanisms included new medications and new relationships. Maybe you know some people who shacked up in the pandemic and then had it fall apart. Janelle visited right in the middle of all this, and I can share with you that I was head over heels smitten with my new relationship and I was also going through some things that I didn't understand. All I can really share is that I knew that a ceremony was supposed to happen, but I truly believed that I was supposed to support my friend, Janelle, in it. When that didn't happen, I wasn't really sure where to go. Janelle and I, of course, having been friends for a long time, we had some great visits on this trip, but there was also distance. I think we both know now that we were both on our own journeys at the time, and we both had things to figure out, so that distance allowed for those journeys to continue. Fast forward two years, and I am through the worst of what those new medications brought me. To the listeners, I support you in your medical journeys, and if the meds are working, take them. If they are not, change or get off them. I had to become clear-headed. I had to stop yelling, a terrible side effect that I'm grateful to say has stopped since going off the meds. And I had to remember how to pray again. For me, ceremony is about connection, and it's often about cleaning off. I've been taught in this world that we pick up things, other people's emotions, energies, and even things one of my teachers called Klingons. They're like spiritual lint. How do we clean off? Some use sweat lodges, some use cedar boughs, many of us use water. Janelle has just taught us about one of the ceremonies for grief that involves cold, icy glacial water. I have supported ceremonies like that one, and I have witnessed the strength of what they do. Early in 2022, I found myself in Vancouver where I realized it's never what you think. As my mom had said, I realized that ceremony I had believed needed to be done, the one with the water, was actually for me. I brought medicines and gifts and humbled myself, letting Janelle know what had gone on with me when she had visited two years before. I asked her to help me with a cleaning off ceremony. And in that moment, Janelle said some words in her language 
told me, just a minute, and she took out her phone. It was there on that beach before I went into the ocean to clean off that Janelle read me this poem. When she finished, I asked when she wrote it, and we were both stunned as she remembered. It was when I was at your mom's two years ago. I share this story to tell you, listeners, that our medicines are strong. Keep praying for what you need and listening to what your ancestors and teachers and helpers tell you. And I hope that you'll remember my ceremony mom, Carol's teaching. It's never what you think. Our prayers can take 16 years sometimes to come true. They can sometimes take 16 seconds. It's not up to us. For those walking in ceremony, I share this story. And if you're grieving, if you're hurting, if you've just been through hell and come back, go to the water. Bring a friend to help you. Especially if it's cold. Ask the water to help you clean off. Cry, sing, speak whatever you need to. In my teachings, we go under three times. For others, it may be four. Listen to your body and your heart and your spirit. The water will help you. As my Ocheti Shikoan relations taught me when I visited Standing Rock many years ago, Mani Wachoni, water is life. As the old man, Bodwe Wadmi elder Stuart Kingbang and his partner Mokjawinkwe taught me, get up every morning and pour a glass of water. Thank that water before you drink it. As my Tunaka elders and relations taught me, the river here is the blood and the veins, our lifeways, our connection to each other and our territories. I will leave you with Janelle's peace. I will walk into the water. Thank you, Janelle, for all of it. I will walk into the water. Dim ox ye ni dim ax. I will walk into the water. I would usually tell you, you gotta run and jump, since I was a little one. She still comfortingly ends phrases of guidance with my girl. I talk to her before I run and jump. She washes away the weight on my shoulders, reflects the things already visible, and shows me how to look at them in different ways. That little one I used to be is who she's talking to is still inside the hanak I have grown to be, showing me the pieces I have not yet healed. There are times to run and jump, but now is the time to walk into the water with intention. Dim uxye ni dim ax. Thank you all. <laughs> the Az Kanaki podcast would like to thank our guest Janelle Silverwolf and send a thank you to Keon at Just Music in Cranbrook, BC for the session. Thank you also to our podcast team. Sound designer, audio engineer, and editor Grayson Grit of Minotan Music, and producer Crystal Strong of Awesome Artist Management. We would like to thank the Canada Council for the Arts for their generous funding of Season 1. 